Okay, I'll be reading from John 20, 11 through 18. <clears throat> but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen, what a wonderful service so far. Amen to that. I do have to make one note that I find very impressive. Um, and it's right here in the second. How old is the, the, the baby? Still sleeping? Wow. <laughs> Still sleeping through all that. I will say you guys are doing really well. <laughs> Some people want to know your secret right now. That, that hallelujah. And now, now it's going to happen. I'm going to start preaching, right? <laughs> and this is make him stop. Make him stop. <laughs> Oh boy, well, we have a sense of humor here at St. John, do we not? But welcome all. Um, what a beautiful passage that was just read before us, and we're going to unpack that in a few months. In a few, a few months, well, you're going to be here for a while, aren't you? You know, close the doors, Alan, lock the doors, lock them in. <laughs> but in a few moments, we're going to be looking that. But here we are gathered together on a day that defines, defines all of us. And that is so important to recognize that it just doesn't define Christians, those who believe. But I believe that we live two, that close to 2,000 years now with the Christian influence in the world. And that is amazing. That is something we tend to forget. That Jesus the Christ has influenced the entire world. If you ever really think about it, we have hospitals, we have charity, we have things like that. We have orphanages because of Christianity. Those are Christian innovations that we really push forward. We actually have a thing called love and compassion that has really influenced the world. And if you think it hasn't, think about the days when Jesus was with us. He came preaching to a people. He says, you must love one another. Why would you come and tell people to do something they're already doing? Right? He came and preached a new message. And he showed them how to love, and we have to really understand that. 2,000 years under the influence of the Holy Spirit guiding and changing the world, transforming the world. Amen to that. That is a wonderful thing. 
This is the day that the Lord has certainly made and blessed us with, and we know that. This is the day that death lost its sting. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead and affirmed that he is the Christ. The Christ. Think about that. Christ means Messiah. Christ means anointed one of God. It is not Jesus' last name. He is the Christ. Even more so, many would be surprised to learn that the name Jesus literally means God saves. Yehoshua, Yeshua, Joshua. That's where the name comes from. Jesus in Greek. Jesus saves. God saves. That's what the name means. God rescues and delivers. So when we call upon the name of Jesus, we are actually calling upon God himself to save us through his son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Know that. There is power in the name. What a beautiful name it is. And to think none of this would be possible if Jesus was not raised from the dead. As he said, it would happen. So I have to ask, what does it mean to you that Jesus Christ is risen? You have to ask yourself that question. Don't just know it. It must mean something to you. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is risen? And I know that many of you probably have a prepared answer for that that you just shoot right out there. But really think about it. Because the disciples, they were not expecting to approach what they approached and confronted with resurrection, were they? They didn't have an answer that morning to what does this mean. They had to work that out. They wrestled. They were in no way prepared to struggle with the idea of Jesus' resurrection. And you see this happening in the Gospels. Even though Jesus repeatedly told them that he was going to be handed over to the authorities and he would suffer. Even though he told them that he was going to die and then on the third day rise again. They could not process that. Could you? <laughs> you process something like that. If you were there, could you? I think not. I think not. What they were able to process was precisely everything that just happened over the past few days, and it was horrific. It was dark. Jesus was crucified, and then he died. He was dead. Some of them were present at his death on the cross, and we know that Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, and another woman named Mary, were present when he was laid in the tomb. We know that. And that is evidence right there. Jesus was most certainly dead. That's what they were able to process, and that is exactly what they expected to see on that Easter morning. What they didn't expect to see was an empty tomb. And in the Gospel of John, you see Mary Magdalene wrestling with the missing body. And when you slow down and let the scripture speak for itself, it's just this whole picture of confusion and weirdness going on. It really is a strange portion of scripture. It's not the only strange portion of scripture. There's a lot of those, right? But this is certainly one of confusion. And she was baffled. The text tells us that Mary is outside of the tomb weeping. We got that. 
But here's the thing. It's important to, that we understand that she is not just weeping over a missing body, over the situation. It's so much more than that. Mary is weeping over all she experienced over the past few days. She is in deep sorrow. The one who she had placed all of her hope just died a horrific and humiliating death. And she followed this person as others did. She was healed by this person. She saw this Jesus do miracles. She listened to his te teachings about the kingdom of God in heaven. A wonderful message. This new life and new age that he was supposedly ushering in. Supposedly. What's up with all of that? A new chapter. Gone. All that. Gone. That's what she was processing and with that her hope was gone and now on top of all of that the body of Jesus missing gone this wasn't a normal kind of weeping when you read this it's not and she was standing outside of the tomb weeping it's not that you need to feel what's going on here like Jesus who was placed in the tomb I imagine that Mary must have, have felt lifeless dead inside mary was dead inside no hope nothing no reason to live anymore there is no tomorrow and as mary stood outside the tomb weeping she decides to go look in the tomb once more and she sees two angels sitting in the tomb where jesus had been lying one at the head and one where his feet were and she doesn't process that at all that's weird to me she doesn't ask herself, how did we get in here? How'd you get in here? Did you sneak back me, past me while it was morning? I was sitting right out, I was standing right out there. How'd you get past me? That's a normal question to ask. She doesn't ask herself, what's up with what I, you know, what I imagine to be these just dazzling white you know, clothes that they're wearing? What's up with that? Never seen anything like that. This is not a casual thing. She's not processing it. And I imagine that those two angels were full of joy and they, they were just loving their role, <laughs> right? A little too much, probably. Oh, this is great. Check this out. She has no idea, right? Stop it, man. Jesus is right around the corner. Stop it. That's not funny, you know? I mean, think about that. And they get to prepare Mary for what is about to come. They are there as a part of unva an unveiling that goes from sadness to great joy, right? So they ask Mary, why are you weeping? Which incidentally is a completely normal thing to do at a tomb. Why am I, why am I weeping? Where am I right now? Are you kidding me? Why am I weeping? <laughs> and she tells them how she understands things. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And then she turns around, and suddenly there's another person. Whoa, right? Suddenly things just got real busy, okay? And she processes this as it's, it's the gardener. It's the gardener. And the question is asked one more time, woman, why are you weeping? So she tells the gardener what she believes has happened. You ready for this? Close your eyes for a moment. With one word, 
Her eyes were opened with one word. You know what that word was? Mary. Open your eyes. Mary. One word. Here's what you need to know. And by speaking her name, Mary came back to life. Mary was resurrected. Let that sink in. Mary came back to life. She came back to life and her eyes were open to see the risen Savior. Mary could now live the resurrected life that Jesus ushered in. Right? It's amazing. When Jesus spoke Mary's name, we have to understand it was more than her eyes that were just open. Her hope was restored. And I imagine that Mary placed all of her hope and all of her faith in Jesus. And because of this, Mary did not have a plan B. This was it for her. And without Jesus, there is no hope. There is no more faith, just hopelessness. There is no tomorrow, just despair. There is only weeping outside of the tomb. There is only death. But with Jesus resurrected, so too was Mary's hope, and so too was her faith, and so too was her love, and so too was her compassion and her, and her grace. Mary was brought back to life. And when Jesus calls your name, you have to know that you come back to life because in Jesus there is hope. In Jesus there is life. Each and every single person here brought back to life, a reason to live. There is a tomorrow. What a beautiful thing it is to have your name spoken by Jesus. Even more than that, what a beautiful thing it is to recognize the voice of Jesus. Would you recognize Jesus if he spoke your name? Or would you respond with the question, do I know you? Do I know you? Jesus states in the Gospel of John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus knows you and he is calling but that doesn't matter if you can't recognize the person calling. To recognize someone's voice is personal and it involves relationship. When Jesus speaks your name, either you are going to hear the voice of a stranger or the voice of your Savior. And it's not enough to just know of Jesus. It's a relationship. So given the circumstance, where are you in this story, people? Where are you? Would you be standing outside of the tomb weeping because you have placed all of your hope, every bit of it, in Jesus? Or are you just going to move on to plan B, your backup plan, your just-in-case plan? Simply put, who do you belong to? Do you belong to the world or do you belong to Jesus? I think that's a very appropriate question on this Easter morning. Who do you belong to? Ask yourself that every day. Who do I belong to? There is this um, brilliant theologian named St. Anselm. And I'm going to share this with you. Um, he was a monk living in the 11th century, quite some time ago. This isn't yesterday, right? 
all right, 11th century. And he wrote this treatise where a question or a problem was proposed, all right? And Anselm, the Saint Anselm, would answer. And, there was, and here's one problem or one question that was put before Anselm. He said, if God the Father has everything and God the Son has everything that his Father has, what reward could God, give, could God the Father give the Son that he doesn't have? Does that make sense? They, they each share in everything, every ounce of it. Now, this problem is in relation to Jesus Christ being rewarded for his dying on the cross for the atonement of sins. Again, what reward can be given to Jesus who already has everything that God his Father has? So, St. Anselm responds by saying, Jesus' reward are those that he died for. For those who believe in him, you are Jesus' reward. Imagine God the Father asking Jesus, his son, what can I give you as your reward for all that you have done? Imagine Jesus pausing for a second. After all that he has done, he was tortured, his flesh broken, everything. And he looks up to God, his father, and he says, let me have them. Let me have them. Let, me, let them be my reward. Let them be mine. You belong to Jesus. You are Jesus' reward. Have you ever thought about yourself as Jesus' reward? You're a gift to Jesus as much as he was a gift to you at Christmas. Remember that? At Christmas, Jesus is the gift. At Easter, you are his gift. Think about that. To Jesus, you are worth dying and living for. And so here's my final question. How are you supposed to respond to that? How are you supposed to respond to Jesus dying and rising for you? Live a life resurrected. That's how. Live for Jesus. Live a life full of the grace that God has shown you by revealing God to others. Live a life of holy love and compassion and kindness. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love with everything you are. Love with everything you got. This is what it means to live a life resurrected. Amen? Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Amen.